Hey guys, welcome into the Bear With Us podcast. I'm Jack. He is Frank. Frankie, it's been a minute, man. We've uh, we've both been dealing with uh, some personal stuff in our lives going on, and uh, we figured we needed a little bit of vacation from the Bear With Us podcast. Nothing has been happening for the last couple of weeks in the in the NFL and Chicago Bears football in general. So we figured, why not take a couple of weeks, get everything straightened out, and uh, you know we'll get back to it. And then I'll have a little bit of another break coming up, uh, you know, with baby being, being born. We'll probably hit pause a little bit on the podcast, but I know people have been begging. Hey, guys, where the fuck's the podcast? All right. I need the content each week in my little inbox on YouTube, on Spotify, on what is it called for Apple? Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. That's so boring. It is. That's so boring. But people have been begging for it. So here we are. Frankie, how you been, man? I've been uh I've been solid, man. You know, no complaints on my end. I, I do think I think we need to schedule in breaks next offseason if it's gonna be as boring as this one was. Dude, it's been rough. It it's has been, been really, really yeah. rough. Like the Bears, I don't know, like you know, they they made the splash, you know, with the trade, right? And we talked about that for like eight weeks. And then the draft happened. And the first day of free agency happened and the Bears were signing guys, you know, kind of left and right. And then and then <laughs> nothing and then nothing nothing's really happened. I mean, literally nothing. Yeah. I mean, like it took what? How how many how many weeks for DeAndre Hopkins to to sign with the Tennessee Titans? I mean, that a, took a while. Yeah, uh, a very long time. And and even I mean, thinking back, I mean, last off season, I mean, we were, we were almost spoiled. Now that I'm thinking about it, you brought up DeAndre yeah. Hopkins. I mean, Devontae Adams got traded. Tyreek Hill That's got traded. Point. I mean, they're, they're, the quarterbacks were moving. I mean, we had a little bit of quarterback moving this year, but over the last two, three years, it's been a lot. You know what I mean? So yeah, this season has been pretty tame in comparison. Like, I, the biggest piece of drama has now been, and this is a very recent thing, has been the running backs on Twitter. I don't know if you've been keeping up with that at all. They've been sort of barking a little bit, and I sort of get their, you know, I, I sort of get their gripe, but one of them, I don't know who it was, they put, they, they put uh, Justin Tucker's salary versus Saquon Barkley. And it's like, that's not the hill I think you want to die on because Justin yeah. Tucker is the greatest kicker of all time. Yeah. And he makes two million bucks. Like he should probably make more than that. Yeah, I saw uh I saw someone post like in the Super Bowl winners how much they were paying their running backs. And I think it like topped out at like two mil. And I think it was like Sony Michelle or something like that when he was on the Patriots. Like that was wow. the leading rusher in the Super Bowl on the team that won. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, I, I think ultimately teams are are sort of on on. I think Frank, through the power of the Bear with Us podcast, has convinced NFL owners <laughs> and GMs that running backs are fucking worthless after their rookie contract. Yeah. Well, and the thing someone actually tweeted and it was really fucking funny. It was like. You know how they always do those like futuristic tweets like, oh, if so-and-so didn't get in office or just whatever, they say whatever, and it's like always funny. They were like, the uh, the running back market, if James Conner never ruined it during Le'Veon That's Bell's uh, yeah. holdout, that was the fucking single most well, funny tweet I've seen in a very long time. It, it really made me think, like, was that, I, I, I do wonder if that was really the ultimate shift. Because if you think about it, like running backs were getting paid, and then Le'Veon Bell, that was kind of the first big one where he like sat out well like he like sat out sat out and did. then all of a sudden james connor was like all right i'm still a good running back as well 
not great. I wouldn't say James Conner was like ever like a, a you know like a superstar top tier running back, but he's a very good running back. He's yep. been a very good running back, and and I think teams kind of looked at it and like, and then Le'Veon Bell came back and was never the same. Yeah, well, and I also think I, I think the problem is you know, and again this is what I've I've touched on. It's not that I dislike the running back position. I dislike investing in it because the difference between average to above average to good is not that big. Now, elite, if you have a Christian McCaffrey, if you have an Alvin Kamara before the injuries and things, you pay them. Derrick Henry, you pay them. There's always going to be a handful of elite players at every single position, whether they're valued or not, you know what I mean, that are going to get paid and should get paid. And again, this is this is pure. I hate that I even have to preface this. This is just pure football-wise. I, I wish everyone can get a billion dollars. You know what I mean? Like, let, let them do their thing. Let them right. advocate for what they think. Right. But realistically, building a team, it doesn't make sense. Because even look at, like, David Montgomery had solid seasons. That's an average running back. How big of a difference was that to someone like James Conner, who might be above average? You know what I mean? Who had, like, he had more touchdowns, obviously. But, like, unless you're elite of the elite at that position, it doesn't make sense to invest in you. And these guys are, like, complaining about it. I also find it ironic that two of the dudes who were sort of on the forefront were McCaffrey and Henry who've gotten a contract. And I'm like, you know, I get you're sticking up for them, but you know, you, you already did your thing. I, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, it, it, it's, it's tough when you say like elite talent should get paid. Cause I do agree with you, but I would argue that Saquon Barkley does fit into that mold, but it's tough for me to be on the giant uh, on his side when I mean, he's really only played one yeah. full season. Like, like the Giants, I understand. I do understand them being like, "Prove it to us again." Here's the tag. We're still gonna. You're still gonna get good amount. But to me, running backs who are advocating for long term contracts instead of signing the tag are kind of agreeing with the owners, where it's like, "I want security in case I get hurt," and it's like you're playing a position that does often get hurt and replaced very yeah. quickly and pretty cheaply as yeah. well. And, and again, that that's the thing. We see it all the time. I mean, do you remember, uh, we were talking about this two years ago, I think now, um, Kareem Hunt and um, the the other running back in, in, in Cleveland. They, they were both hurt. Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb. They were both hurt. And then fucking their third string comes in and rushes for like 120 yards. And I was like, he's the reason why you don't invest. Like these do these third, fourth string guys usually aren't bad. Like you're, you're going to have a trust in Ebner every now and then. It is what it is. Like they're not all going to be good. But the floor on running backs is really fucking high. Yeah, I mean, and and I think that's the reason we liked how Ryan Poles dealt with the whole situation with David Montgomery, basically saying, here's a number we think you're worth. If you can get the number you feel like you're worth, go get it. But if not, here you go. And then they replaced him with two guys pretty easily. Two guys who I think are better pure runners than him, too. I was going to say that, yeah. I would rather have probably rather have Donza Foreman than I would David Montgomery right now. And and Herbert, I, I mean, we were both banging the table last year that Herbert should have started over him when Montgomery got hurt. He just looked, he was the better back. It just was what it was. Um, yeah. It was also very ironic though that Montgomery. I don't. I think this was pre-draft. He was just talking about like the Bears, you know, not wanting him and like sort of disrespecting him, and then they draft a running back at number twelve overall <laughs> at the very new place that he's at. Yeah. And it's like, dude, the thing is, is it's, it's, it's not funny because Detroit like disrespected him. Cause I don't think they did. That's just the nature. Oh. Like they, he has to like running backs are going to have to realize if this is the position you're going pro at, like 
it is what it is, man. Y'all better y'all better band together and learn how to be more business savvy throughout this because it's not going to change anytime soon. That's that's and that's kind of like the thing that I think annoy because normally I'm on the player side because the owners whatever pay the pay the player. I don't, right. I don't really care. Right. It's not my team. I don't care if they if the Chargers pay Austin Eckler a ton of money. I don't care. It's not my team. I I prefer I. Although for a guy like that, I probably would want to, but he is also the age, you know, there are trends that do appear with guys who are a little bit older and regardless. But like, I think that's the thing that bothers me. And like some of the responses that guys have had on Twitter, specifically Austin Eckler, where it's like they take what people say on Twitter as like signs of disrespect when it's simply pointing out facts and they're like, you guys are the ones who are making the market not non-existent. And it's like, I seriously doubt that the media or fans have a true impact on no. any sort of market. GMs, coaches, they understand where the running back market is and how valuable it is to have that position. Except, like, you need the quarterback. That That's what you need. And that's why the Giants paid Daniel Jones instead of Saquon Barkley. Yep. That's that's the whole thing. Yep. No, and, and the funny thing is, is that they say that, but they don't real well. I'm I'm sure some of them or most of them do, but what a lot of fans don't realize is these GMs and scouts and everything they're using totally different metrics than than what we have available to us. That's why like PFF and all these other ones, they've literally developed their own analytics. We have no idea that it could be and. and Truth be told, each team has their own analytics team. They all do things differently. That's why some people's right. boards are vastly different. So the Lions are picking a, a, a running back at 12. We're all laughing. That dude might be the next fucking, you know, LaDainian Tomlinson and helps lead them to a Super Bowl in the next couple of years. And then we're like, who's laughing now? You know what I mean? So it's funny now, but what I'm saying is like, that's why these teams make decisions that people are like, what the fuck? You know, this NFL draft expert had him in the third round. It's like, it doesn't matter. They're not listening to you guys at all. Right. So it's the same right. thing with the running backs. Like, this is a trend because every single team agrees that your guys' value can be replaced by a mid-round draft pick. So I think I think ultimately it falls on the, uh, the Players Association in the next collective bargaining agreement to basically say, all right, and this is what I would do if I were them to draft a running back. I think, because I know it's like every player slot has a specific uh, salary, total salary designated yep. to it in the draft. But I think what they're going to have to do is maybe like make it at least the running back position, like positional value and, and maybe just like up the salary on the rookie contract specifically for running backs. Because that's one way, not, yeah. They're not getting to that second contract, and if they are, it's get like the one year, the yep. two year, the franchise tag. They just have to get rid of the franchise tag in general, because that's the. It, it's such a, it's such a, a bonus for the team to have. It's just ridiculous how like unreasonable that tag can be when it's utilized. But the players' association kind of sucks, in my opinion. They they yeah don't really do a good job. And I the, think players have said that. I was just going to say the players definitely agree with you. So I, I, I'm i I'm in favor of getting rid of the franchise tag. The one thing, though, knowing that it's not going to go away, I would I would make them up the, the running back uh, 
the the number on, on the tag yeah. for the running back because it, that that's the only position that's gone down. Right. It's right. gone like it's gone down tremendously versus like a quarterback. You're paying a quarterback at this point fifty mil for that one year if they get tagged. And ultimately, it's worth it because of how much more important quarterbacks are. Yep. And we've seen that trend continue yeah. into the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, you you would rather have an average quarterback than a really good running back, because that average quarter. Yeah, I mean, that average quarterback is going to look at the Titans. They have a really good running back, and they have a below average quarterback, and they haven't done shit. Wait, Tanny, Tanny is below average. I'd give him below. I've been saying he's below average for years. No, he he had a couple years there though. Nah, he sucked. Where he was fringe top ten. Him and him and Marcus Mariota. Both Mar- fucking Mariota, Mariota was bad. Tried to tell all of y'all. And just kept, I didn't kept like him coming out. Of, I, I didn't like him coming out of college though. No, I never saw it I with love, him. I love Jameis. I will admit, I love Jameis coming. I didn't out really, of, I didn't really college. like, I didn't really like either of them to be honest. <laughs> yeah, there, it's kind of funny. There was that little period of time where quarterbacks Quarterback, come out. Yeah, it was, and, and that that was that was more of it than anything. I saw. I, I remember I didn't like watch too much film, but I, I did watch like the big uh, bowl games and such. And I saw both of them and I was like, these are the two guys, huh? Like they just didn't, you know, Jameis, Jameis could have been, he could have been a thing. He could have been a thing. If, uh, you know, he just, the, my, he wasn't and, and, blind, this was, like they always say, <laughs> this was to a, 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 a much more untrained eye than what I have. Not, not to say that my eye is, you know, trained by any means, but just knowing what I know now about football, I didn't have then. And when I saw Jameis, he had like a clunkiness about him, like with his yeah. footwork. And I was like, that can get cleaned up, but it felt more to me like a body type. He's like long and lanky. And like when he would, you know, drop back to throw, he just looked weird. And then Mar- Mar- Mariota just seemed, I don't know. I, 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 I don't think I ever trusted anyone coming out of Oregon. That, that offense was so, I don't yeah, know what the right I, word I, is. I, I would love to go back and like have the knowledge that we do now and look at the, some of the quarterbacks that were coming out of the draft. Like, ultimately 2012 like i wonder how much would be different you know when you look at a guy like russell wilson does he still fall into the third round i don't know i would have loved to have done like a 2012 qb rankings i mean i would have had luck first but we should that's what we should um, do in an off season jackie we should do redrafts people love that shit they do love that shit that is true i saw people redrafting russell wilson to the colts at, at number one I'm like, get the fuck out of here over get luck the, over luck no Get the fuck out of here! Because in, in, in no way, out. in no way, do you ever know that he's going to retire when he did. But as a oh. prospect, a- Andrew Luck was a better. I mean, I would let's even be, say in the league he was a better quarterback, not just the prospect. Let's be let's be real. He got drafted to a terrible organization that just failed him. As yeah. simple as that. As yeah. simple as that, really. And, no, it's true. I mean, you look at. I, I feel like I feel like we were kind of, you know. Ultimately, you and I have sort of been on the mark the last couple of years when we do our QB rankings, and we'll see how it goes this year. Um, but you know, you and I weren't big fans of Zach Wilson, and that's kind of that's kind of came through. Uh, I I said Kenny Pickett was better than Malik Willis. You said there were uh, ulterior motives coming through that, which I that's prevailing <laughs> to be true. Disagree I, with. But the I, team basically has given up on him. Which is which is which is weird because the B reporters wow. there are saying Malik Willis looks really fucking good this camp. Like he's looked like the better quarterback than Will. I wonder what you do then. Like what what do you do as the Titans? Like 
you trade one of them? You keep, nah, you know, you I, keep. I'm, I think, well, Tannehill's still going to be the starter. Yes. I think you keep, I think you hang on to both of them. And what and you do. see what works. Yeah. And, and if the season starts to go south, you give whoever has looked best throughout practices, throughout training camps, you give them the first go of it. I mean, to, to be honest with you, I, I, if I was a Titans fan, I would want it to go south. I would want to know what I have in one of those two guys, if not both of those guys. But I think that I, I, I think the coaching staff is too good. I think that the floor of that roster is too good, so they're going to be in that. So they, so they better hope one of those two quarterbacks is good because they're not going to be in position to draft anyone in the next couple of years in the top. What would you say, ten? Just such a weird team. That might be, you know what maybe maybe, maybe during the offseason. we'll have to. I, I want to rank not not like best teams and not worst teams. I want to rank. I want to. I want to rank weird teams. I want to rank the weirdest teams. The weirdest team, yeah. There, that just like what was you just don't really understand what they're doing. What was the first one that came to mind to you when you outside of the Titans? What's another Raiders. one? The Raiders. Yeah, the they're first... not paying Josh Jacobs after yeah. letting go of their quarterback and replacing him with a guy who's arguably the same person. Yeah, the first one that came to me was uh, was the Falcons. That's also a, a good one because I just feel like they're so loaded at the at the Washington. skill positions. Washington yeah, is another one. Washington, that that's just been them. Remember when we were doing I know, our? That's why I love it. I know. That's but why. Remember when we? Oh, I feel like maybe this year we haven't been as creative as we have in the past either. But because remember we we're doing our five favorite players from every franchise over the last that however many great. years. That was great. We I we were like that. struggling. We were struggling to find Redskins. Well, it was the Redskins at the time, the Washington Football Team. I, I, if you asked me to do that again, like right now, what did what were your answers? <laughs> I know the two, two, three for sure. Champ Bailey, Clinton uh, Portis, Clinton Portis, and Santana Sean Moss. Taylor. Oh, oh, and Sean Taylor was on that list too. And then, and then... J- Jason, Jason Campbell, Terry maybe McLaurin? or just like Kirk, Kirk Cousins. You've always been a you've always been a Terry McLaurin fan though. I have like Terry. Yeah, I I, I, I think people would, if he had a quarterback, Jack, people would look at him much different. He's a dog. He's a very good player. Let's just say if he was a guy who got traded for the number one overall pick instead of DJ Moore, I don't necessarily think I would be upset. I view them in a similar light, though. That, I don't but, know. But that's it's a little bit different of a skill set, but yeah, no, they're they're in that same like tier. They're like one B, but it, they have the potential to be more than that. Like get that guy a quarterback and right. see what right see top what top twenty five guys, yeah, top thirty, yeah. top twenty five in that range, just because of the situations that they've been in. But again, I, I thought the same of AJ Brown. Granted, he's more of a physical specimen, but he didn't have thousand yard rece- uh, receiving seasons with the Titans. He, you know, and he looked like one of those dudes. As a matter of fact, before he got traded, I was like, is it him or is it the system? Like, what is he a little overhyped? And he goes to the Eagles and he shows you who he really is in a, in a real offensive, a real passing system. You know, I, I, I would just be extremely curious to have gone through that process with DeAndre Hopkins just to see kind of what his mindset was, because like clearly it was all the money. Because what could the Titans have shown him in their previous history to like lead him to believe that he's going to be have the opportunities that he's had in the other offenses that he has. Like, I don't know. They don't throw the I, ball I just, very much. We look at the Titans wide receivers. They've had before AJ, uh, not AJ Brown. Well, yes, AJ yeah, Brown, AJ but, Brown. Um, but no, I was thinking of, uh, Andre Johnson. Yep. Randy Moss. Yep. Uh, and then who was, uh, who was the other old one that, that made a pit there stop was there was one more. I'm, I'm, I'm blanking um, on who it was. Julio Jones. Julio. That's right. Yep. 
I mean, Julio, I, I he, would he, say he was hurt, DeAndre Hopkins is in a different scenario than those three because he is. Yes. They were all sort of in the twilight of their careers. He's he could still be productive. I think he's got another but, two or three seasons for sure. Yeah. But is he going to be the thousand yard eight touchdown guy again? I, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know, but I, I will say I do like him and Traylon Burks as the one-two punch now. That's a solid that's solid little... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Traylon not having to be the guy, I think, is good. I agree. I mean, but shit, they're still going to be leaning on Derrick Henry quite a bit. This has to be the year, right, where where, where he sort of just falls apart. We we listen. I, I'm I, I, I stopped for three three years. Now. I, and you know he he's he's at the age now when dynasties. I won't. I certainly won't be buying him. But in in startups, you know, back end of the first round, first half of the second, round, I'm all in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I there's not a lot of running backs I would really draft right now, but he he's he's still up there. I I think. I agree. Yeah, I mean it. I think I think there are a lot of weird teams out there. I think this this could be a fun a fun little thing to do. In terms I mean, of I, the one honestly, the weirdest team that we didn't talk about is probably the Denver Broncos. They're fucking weird because it's it's not even just like what yeah. happened to Russ last season, but like look look at the receiving core. Like Sutton was on this upward trajectory, and then it just deaded, and then. Jude, every single year, Judy has this like hype. He he must have the greatest PR team of all time, because I really <laughs> liked him coming out of college. I did. Me too. Me Best too. route runner in the class. Still a very Drafted good route him runner. In our, there's like four he's, overall in our yeah first dynasty draft. I Listen, ever did. he's essentially done nothing in the league, and everyone's like, "Well, wait, this is this year, this is Jerry Judy. This is the year." And it's like he has like his route running is still there, but he has the dropsies, man. Like. He hasn't proven that, you know, through 17 games, he's a reliable target. And it's not to say he's a bum by any means. He's a solid player. But the way people are talking is like he's ready to take the next step to be a top 10 dude. Like, he might not be a top 50 guy right now. No disrespect. Especially not in this offense where they're going to be running the ball a lot. Yeah. I mean, it, it is. You're, you're right. That That is a very, a very strange team. Strange team. Like. I, I I don't know, man. I, I might even throw the Packers in there, if I'm being completely honest with you. Um, they're a little strange. A little strange? They're a little bit, but I wouldn't put them in the same tier as those other teams. I think we need to have a consensus about who the top five. I think we might need to do top five best, top five weird, and then top five worst. Because I'm all in. I, I, think, I think you and I may disagree on who the worst team in the league is going to be. The worst team in the league is I'm going to be. Mine. I mean, it's probably going to be Houston. I could see Tennessee too, though. They, I feel like they have a pretty low floor. But Mike, I, uh, Mike Vrabel just fucking injects things into his players. Here's the thing. I I think I think the Texans might actually be be pretty good. Not pretty good. I'm not going to say that. Let me retract that statement. I think they're going to be better than people think they're going to be. And that's only because I, I really do like CJ Stroud. Yeah, but if people think they're going to win two games. So if they win like three or four. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Like, what are we, what are we talking I about? Still think, I, I think the Cardinals are going to be the worst team. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the Cardinals because Kyler is going to be out. I, I still th- I, 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 I think I made this prediction. I think he's going to sit out the whole year and they trade him next offseason. 100%. And then they go out and get Caleb Williams. Neil Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. That'd be fun. Who, who's the other first round? But they have Houston's first round pick. They have they have, uh, they have Houston's. Damn. 
for that Will Anderson pick. Yeah. I like that for Texans. both of those teams. I like that for both of them, to be honest with you. Texans better hope that he's he's all that. I mean, no, I, I I like the way someone framed it, though. Like, what what if they took Will Anderson at two and then traded up to get the quarterback? No one would give a fuck. So they, they got both of them with these trade-ups. Who cares? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know. I didn't I, mind I, it. I, I don't, you, think, you, I don't you have... think you build. I don't think you build a team like that. But you know, Houston's obviously been so successful at team building. So well, I mean, come, come on. As if Arian Foster didn't fucking will that team to the playoffs for three oh, seasons. Oh, the playoffs. The playoffs where they did nothing. You're a real piece of shit, Jack. Okay. I hate the Texans. I've always hated them. I know them. you do. Remember uh, last last thing before we we talk about our main topic, and I know people are gonna be like, "God damn, there's something they actually want to talk about." <laughs> yeah, I know. Do you remember? And I, I truly feel bad about this. Do you remember when Arian Foster was like the first game after Chuck Pagano was diagnosed with cancer, and he went and he like tapped the side the sign at Lucas Oil, and people thought like he was like piece of shit because he was like mocking him or something like that do you remember no, that no i don't remember this at all yeah oh it was a huge it was a huge controversy and he was like after the game he's like no 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 i was just like we're you know we're like i'm thinking of him that's how i would have taken it yeah why else but would you be colts tapping fans, colts fans were very upset because it was like right after the texans scored a touchdown and they they thought he was like mocking uh, yeah Chuck. i wouldn't have no that's not and, and just knowing who Arian Foster is. Granted, I got to know him through like his podcast. Right. He's on another podcast and he's, you know, talk, talks a lot about sort of his values and things. I, it was back in the early days of Twitter. I think it was like 2012. Oh, that yeah, was, would have been fucking, it would that have was been when Twitter was crazy. Yeah. Wild well, it's, it's crazy in a different way now, but you know, if you need your daily dose of neo-Nazis, just hop on there for a few minutes. You'll, the algorithm will get you. <laughs> They'll find <laughs> you some good ones to follow. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Or, or, or just like extremist Islam, one or the other, which, what's the difference? I was just Obviously. saying, what, what, what the fuck is the difference at this point? Bots talking about just X player better. That's all I see. LeBron better. Michael better. <laughs> this is why Kobe's the greatest. Like, there's just the comments, man. It's, it's rough. Yeah. It's, 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 it's kind of sad because, like, I feel like. You know, a few years ago, people would like actually engage in like conversations. I agree. I know. And now it's literally just. But it's it's Jackie. The problem is, it's a bunch of fucking kids. They're literally little kids. They're literally right. like thirteen years old. And like th and this is the way that they. Because I I remember like early in the internet days when I would be on forums for sports that like I, I like you would change people's names to like make fun of them. Right. You know, like these are kids. This is what kids do. And, and I could right. I could immediately tell when I was on those boards when I started to interact with an adult. Because they wouldn't do that. And I, and I, I was like, okay. I, I, like once I got a little bit older, I was like, this is stupid. Like, I yeah. sound like an idiot right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you definitely don't sound stupid now. Well, I hope I don't. But, I guess plus, I'll let our audience dictate that. But r really, last thing, though, to your point, I saw uh, today bots going after, um, well, bots or kids going after uh, Nikolai Jokic. They called him Brickolai. What the fuck was the last something br brickalai something and i was just like what are we doing dude labum uh, how many times have we seen labum i see fraud. I, I, well, everyone's a fraud i see jor fraud everyone's a fraud that, that one doesn't even make any sense it i know it, just, it doesn't make any sense 
It, th that's what it, honestly it bothers me when I know what's an adult that does this. Like the profile picture is a grown ass man, and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing with your life, bro? La Mickey, everything's a Mickey Mouse ring. Yeah, right? no, no, Everyone's no ring has counted since 2020. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's a bum. Yeah. Everyone's a fraud. Everyone sucks. Everyone's better than that person. Yep. Don't, don't care. Post some random trade. I see that one a lot too. Post, oh, I know. Post Dame trade. Shut the fuck up. It's horrible. All of you bots. Yeah, it's it's bad. But you know what's not bad, Frank? Well, I guess I can't say that for sure. But <laughs> the Bears coaching staff. Look at that transition. Boom. Seamless. Perfect. Uh, Frankie, that is what we wanted to talk about today in this edition of the Bear With Us podcast. Uh, we did want to touch on where we kind of think the Bears coaching staff is at. Um, because as great as an offseason as I think as as I know, I believe Ryan Poles has had, and I believe Frank also agrees in regards to Ryan Poles. Ultimately, a lot of the decisions that he has made are going to come down how to how Eberflus and his staff can implement those changes and and utilize the skill sets that have been brought in and maximize this team's potential to whatever that's going to be, whether that's going to be. Super Bowl. Maybe maybe it is that. You know, what can Matt Eber... I mean, we've seen coaches just maximize their roster's talent, and you're just like, how? Like how? how are you doing this? But we still, I would argue, Matt Eberflus and his staff are still pretty, pretty big question marks. I, there were a lot of times last year that I was upset, and Frank had to talk me down a little bit on these, on the post-game podcast. And I, I, I'm still kind of wondering what exactly we should be expecting of this coaching staff. Frank, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the head honcho? Do you want to start offense? Do you want to start defense? What do you want to do here? Let's let's start on the defensive side of the football. Let's start with Allen Williams. Okay. Um, because um, I, I, I'm trying to not be so harsh on you know the thoughts that I have on him. I know there wasn't a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball. I they got rid of the talent that they did have. Totally get that, throw that out the window. But we also saw Sean Desai a year before that. You know, granted, again, he had a little bit more talent. But even when things didn't work, you saw him, like, trying things, some exotic blitzes, some stunts on the defensive line. I mean, the first, like, six weeks when, um, uh, when Khalil Mack and... Um, Robert Quinn. Robert Quinn were healthy. Those stunts that Sean Desai had going were crazy. They they were and remember he lined them up on the same side of the, uh, yep. of the line a couple times. Just real creative shit. But we knew we had to get that creative because the defense really wasn't that good. Khalil Mack was essentially a shell of himself. Uh, we had no idea what we had at linebacker. You know, safety was up in the air. It was just all over the place. Corner. I mean, fuck. Uh, I don't remember who our second corner was at that point. It it, it was crazy. It must but have Sean, been Kendall. Kendall. I think it, it may Kendall. have been Kendall Vildor. You're right. Um, but point being like, he was like really doing things and sometimes it did come to bite him, but it was like, Hey, that's what you have to do sometimes to try to muster things up. There were sometimes the bears got beat third and long because he, he went with an exotic blitz that just didn't work. But it's like, if you just let them sit back in coverage, same thing would happen. So let's try some things. And I feel like that's what was missing from Alan Williams last year was like, what exactly are you trying to get this defense out of this funk? What are you doing to set them up for success? 
Because Anna, as I analyzed, not only Alan Williams, but Eberflus as well, neither come across to me as the type of coach that is going to like schematically give you an advantage from week to week. That's not necessarily a bad thing. There are coaches who win in this league just because they know how to set their players up for success. That's a skill in and of itself. Now, I think the ones who do both are like a Kyle Shanahan. That That's like absurd. You're a different level. Andy Reid, you're a different level of coach. Bill Belichick did it for years. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm even with that thought of like maybe schematically Allen Williams doesn't do all that much because you think back to like even like Rod Marinelli. He didn't do, he, I don't think he he drew up crazy exotic blitzes and this and that, but he knew how to fucking coach that cover too. And right. and outside of your pillars who could have just skipped every practice like Erlacher and Mike Brown and all those, we know the guys who were the pillars. You had guys stepping up all the time in those defenses that weren't those pillars because they were being coached up in that way, coached up in that scheme. They weren't a- asked to do anything exotic, anything crazy. They knew the role, they, they played the role. I don't even know if I saw that because the other question that I had, Jackie, and I'll throw it to you to give your thoughts, re- rebuttal, or however you want to do it. Who on the defensive side of the ball got better over right. o- over the year? Because the only player that I could think of was was Sanborn, but I was like, he didn't really get better. He just finally got a shot. You know what I mean? Like, that wasn't like, <laughs> oh, he started off kind of, yeah. eh, and like turned it around, but... Right. Yeah, so it was like, yeah. what, what exactly did Allen Williams provide? Which, which, to me, I guess the last thing with that is, he has the opportunity now to show maybe he just needed that year to lay that foundation with some of these young guys and maybe we see it this year. But that's what I do need to see. I need to see players get better. Maybe Dominique Robinson has some some good games. Uh, maybe we continue to see progress with the corners and then we have a rookie corner coming in. You know what I mean? Like there has to be something or or because to me, his I wanted to start with him because I do think his seat is the hottest if we're talking about someone being let go after the season. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting because I, I feel like there's been this shift. I, I I would say probably Sean McVay was really the the one that started it all where that kicked off the need to have the offensive genius. Obviously what led the Bears to Matt Nagy. It's what, you know, Kyle Shanahan, why he got the job. Uh it, it's why um the Browns head coach names escaping me. It doesn't matter. He's a fucking bum too. Stefanski. Um yeah, Stefanski. I moved from the Vikings to the Browns and, you know, it, it hasn't really worked, but like that was, he was kind of the, the lead to that. And, and what was interesting was when we were growing up mid two thousands, early 2010s, like, I feel like you, you kind of just, your coaches were just good at coaching and play callers were just good. Like just needed to be good play callers. Where like, now it's like, you need, the genius level, super creative plays, how to get an offense to work. And I feel like Alan Williams is kind of like a product of the past, which is something that you and I were both a little bit worried about when Matt Eberflus originally got hired was because it did feel very much like status quo for the bears, the typical coach they look, they look for a guy who's just, you know, can coach guys. Right. But how is that like, like, how was Allen Williams? And yes, I know the Bears beat the 49ers in week one. But let's be real. Anybody could have won that game. It, it That was not football, like, top-tier football, obviously. But, like, let's say NFC Championship game, right? Like, Allen Williams going up against Kyle Shanahan and his offense. Can Allen Williams go toe-for-toe? Like, match-for-match? play for play with with Kyle Shanahan and that creativity. I, 
to your point, I didn't really see a whole lot of that last year. And again, again, the talent was not there. Like, let's be very real, very transparent. He did not have a lot to work with. So maybe that is the case. Um, But it was, you know, a a question you just asked, I think was great. Who got better? Because that was a question you and I were (laughs) fucking screaming from the mountaintops in terms of Matt Nagy and his offense for three years. Like, who has gotten better in this offense? And the answer was no one. And so if that is going to be a common trend, if nobody improves from last year, and there are guys who can, right? Like, And I think that's that's a big part of last year was like, all right, who can develop? Really, the only answer was Travis Gibson because he was one of the only carryovers that really got to start. Eddie Jackson improved his play, but I wouldn't say that was necessarily from coaching. I would say that was just, just scheme fit. It was just better for his skill set. And they put him back in his actual position too. Right, exactly. And two guys that can show improvement, or three guys really, maybe even four. Travis, Dominique Robinson, who you mentioned, Tyler Gordon, and Jaquan Brisker. Yep. If all four of those guys show improvement in this scheme and show that they can be reliable NFL players, maybe even star-level players, like you'd hope Jaquan Brisker could be, then maybe you got something. But if this defense kind of looks more or less the same as it did last year. I think I agree with you. We, you might need to get someone a little bit more innovative in that defensive coordinator spot, somebody who can match some of these exotic offenses. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And again, as it relates to Matt Eberflus, you know, the head honcho of the whole thing, sometimes, again, there's coaching, because that's exactly what Lovey was. Lovey, once he he knew how to build, he knew what he needed for his defense. Him and Jerry Angelo worked very well together, and they got it done. That may be a thing here as well. So on the defensive side of the ball, as long as we're seeing that sort of improvement from these key players, and and especially from draft picks that they've drafted together, I would be okay with keeping Allen Williams and and, and Matt Eberflus moving forward. That to me is, I mean, especially the things that we're hearing about these interior defensive linemen that they uh, that they drafted. Mm-hmm. If, if they can make them one or both of them into fucking monsters, you keep and you you keep cultivating that. You keep going with that. Um, and I guess as it relates, Jackie, just moving over to the offensive side of the football. Um, same has to be said. Lou Getze didn't have much talent on offense. He was working with a pretty broken offensive line, so he had to like really, uh, you know lean into Justin's run game. And to me, that was a big plus for him because we didn't see that early in the year. It wasn't until the Patriots game when they really unleashed him and it was like, holy shit. Like, we knew Justin can run, but we didn't know Justin could run. You know what I mean? Like, that was a different level of uh, of running ability that he had shown at that point, especially like actual called runs. We saw the scramble. We saw the, you know, get out of the pocket, even his rookie year. This was like designed RPO run type of things where he was taking it to the house. Like, it was it, it was absurd. So he, he, you know, he gets credit there, but there were too many times for me, and I know you as well, where it was like, why isn't he moving the pocket right now for Justin? It's early. It's it's first quarter. Why aren't we just getting this offense into a rhythm? One thing that I, I hated that I didn't see essentially the whole first half of the season was any sort of hurry up offense. They would have a big play and then they just slow it back down. And I'm like, what are we doing? Like, this offense is not good enough to just like do that. And then, okay, let's be meticulous about this. Let's, you know. Make sure we have, no, keep, run the same exact play if you have to. Just go hurry up off and do the same thing, see if it works. Like you just do these little things that, you know, you're able to, to continue to, to, to have success on offense. And 
I don't know. It, it 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 still felt outside of the run game. The run game was phenomenal. I guess that's another plus for Getzey. That you know, for as bad as uh, of a pass blocking unit as that offensive line was, they were ranked in the top ten by many metrics running the ball. I don't know how much of that has to do with Justin running the ball as well. I'd like to see if they can separate that just for like actual drawn up run plays. But regardless, you know, they were a top ten run blocking unit. They won a lot of the run blocking assignments. Um, but it still felt like it was a little bit identityless. Did it not for a good portion of that uh, of that season? The only time it felt like there was an identity, it was hard for me to give credit to Luke Getzey because it felt like it was Justin Fields becoming Superman. You right. know what I mean? Like it just felt like it was his time to take over because there weren't ever any like easy. Well, not I don't want to say any. Getzey had he had a handful, if not more than that, through, throughout the year. Especially I'm thinking like first half before things unravel a little bit later. You know where Cole Komet was wide open for a 40 yard touchdown. So he schemed some things up. He he definitely schemed some things up, but it 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 wasn't always all that consistent. And again, the talent is there or, or what wasn't there. So you throw all that in there. And that's why I feel like I'm not being as harsh on him than I was on Allen Williams because I, I think his job is a little bit safer. I don't think he's going to be the, the the next head coaching candidate elsewhere unless DJ Moore is going to be that big of a leap and then you know improving the offensive line the way that they did will continue to help him. But I didn't see like young offensive genius from Luke Getzey. I saw what I saw mostly was like common sense play calling, but also being severely outcoached. Thinking back to that Packers game where we're down like 21. And then Matt LaFleur after the game is like, oh, he ran the ball so well. Like it was so, and it just, it. I don't know if he meant it this way. I doubt that he did. But to me, it was like, hey, Bozo, you're down 21. We want you to run the clock out. Like you did great. Perfect. There were, there were just certain times, you know what I mean? There were certain times like that where I was like, Getsy, like I'm no fucking professional, man. But if I see this and Jack sees this and we're texting each other, like you got to do, you got to do something. Um, So he... His job of the coordinators is the safest between him and Allen. And, and we're not going to touch special teams. I don't really know. I don't think either of us know shit about special teams. Care. So who, who the fuck knows? Yeah. Um, but between those two, I think his job is a little bit safer. Um, but then then the argument comes like, do you want him to really, really improve and like run a top five unit? And then you lose him right away. I, I almost don't. I kind of do. And I kind of don't. You know what I mean? Like if he were to be that. Yeah. Yeah. I was I see. I was going to say it's either for, for Getsy, It's either leaves to become a head coach or he stays like I, I I don't I do not see a scenario where he gets fired unless things really just just get off the rails here and it just looks like a complete and utter mess um but a lot of the things you said Frank I I do agree with like there were a lot of times last year where you know you and I were texting each other um basically like where is the pocket movement where is the play action like still so a lot of carry over questions that we were having from the previous regime like of the previous coaching staff had issues with the same things and it was kind of frustrating because there were times getsy would do it and yep. then just it, it would disappear for for lengths at a time and you know i i just i didn't really understand his game plan uh there were a few times uh the pass blocking was not very good and yet he continued to not make it easier for Justin Fields to make plays. Granted, same thing with Alan Williams, the, the talent wasn't necessarily that, especially when uh, Darnell Mooney went out. But, I mean, the biggest question mark for me is can Luke Getze maximize the skill players that he has to work with? Because 
I mean, Chase Claypool got there and did nothing, which was just super weird. And if it's that complicated of an offense, why were they not scoring more points? You know, like, like I, I just, I did not understand why it took Chase Claypool so long to get involved. Like, remember that those first two weeks where it was like they, they weren't even throwing him the ball. It was like, I, I just, what was the point of spending a second round pick if you're not going to use him? Like, it just, that makes me a little bit nervous still, right? Uh, you know, can he really utilize DJ Moore's skill set? I don't know. The running back stuff, how is he going to use a rotation or like a, a running back rotation? Like, he wasn't able to really do it yeah. last year. Like, David Montgomery, like Khalil Herbert, while David Montgomery was out, was putting up 100 yard games. He was, you know, breaking off 50 yard runs. And then David Montgomery came back and that was it. We never saw him again. You know, he didn't really throw to the running backs a lot, which I thought was was kind of weird. Like, he didn't call screens. He didn't really do a whole lot of that. Oh, he loved the tight end screen, Jackie. Love the tight end screen. <laughs> if I have to see the fucking tight end screen one more, like, it just doesn't... He 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 seems to be someone who's very stubborn and, and just wants to call what he wants to call versus taking what the defense is giving him. Now, granted, it's first season play calling. There was absolutely room for improvement. Let's see how he did that. But I do not think it's a slam dunk that this offense is going to be super improved from last year just because they got DJ Moore. I thought the same thing about when they got Chase Claypool. I was like, all right, this this offense might look a little bit better. And then they looked the same, if not worse. Yeah. The the running back thing is one that I did forget about. That that's they, they have built a solid running back room here. You're gonna to have to utilize at least both of them, but for everything that we've heard about Rashawn Johnson is like, get him in there as well. Get him in the mix. Um, the, I, I, I guess what I want to see from him next year, I guess as a mark of an improvement is obviously just a more consistent offense. There was that six or seven week stretch where they were a top five offense in the league. Again, it's hard for me to credit Getsy for that. It was just, you know, fields coming into his own, but I, there needs to be more consistency throughout a 17 game season. But two is we've had some pretty bad offensive coordinators here in Chicago. And one of the ones that I think was the, if you sort of were ranking, he'd be towards the bottom, was uh, Mike Tice. And, you know, in that offense, Cutler had a solid year, but and Brandon Marshall had like a 1,500-yard season or something crazy, but it's because he was only drawing up plays for him. They were like, do you remember there were literally plays where it was only him running a route? And yep. like Cuddy Marshall magic just happened, and they would just somehow complete it through in triple coverage. Um and I say that to say, I need Luke Getzey to show me that the offense isn't going to just be Justin Fields and DJ Moore. I, I I need you to know what his skill set is and also not only utilize that to get him his, and hopefully he gets 12, 1,300 yards, X amount of touchdowns, that's circumstantial. But then, hey, here's Darnell Mooney for 950. Here's Chase Claypool for 800 and, and nine touchdowns. You know what I mean? Like, utilizing that, now that you have that alpha, to set everyone else up for success as well and, and and have more disguises. And and for the love of God, the one thing that we both neglected, Jack, this is like a staple in every offense. Let's get some pre-snap motion. Let's yeah. let, let, let's let's help Justin out and understanding what, what's happening pre-snap. You know, like you 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 hear the way people break things down, and even uh this dude, he he was uh on the Packers practice squad for a couple of years. I forget his name, Brett something. He's a he's a gamer and he does like Twitch and everything, but he's been playing Madden and he's been like First of all, it's unfair. Oh, and, yeah. And, yeah, I know what you're talking about. NFL yeah. quarterback should not be playing fucking Madden. Dude, he's like, 
He's telling you what he's going to do. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm motioning him to the right because if the linebacker goes here, I know they're in a cover two. And if they're, if he does this, I know they're man-to-man. -man, or like I, they can even tip off a blitz if I motion him this way. It's absurd how they're able, like what they know to do pre-snap and like the look they know that they're going to get. And he was just talking. He's like, yeah, he's like, this is even in real life. He's like, things can be disguised and you have to know what to look for post-snap. He's like, that's why I never made it far because it's hard to fucking process in real time. But pre-snap, every, like, every elite high school quarterback on knows what to do pre-snap. And I don't, I can't recall more than a handful of pre-snap things that Lou Getze did last year. Yeah, I, I think, I think number one thing for me will be establishing that identity. Like, what yep. does this team do well other than just Justin Fields being Justin Fields? Because that, that, that basically is what this offense boiled down to last year. Uh, to me, there can be no games like the Reds, uh, the, I almost said the Redskins. They're not the Redskins. They were not last year as well. Uh, there can be no games like there were against the Commanders. This season. I know. I that know. That, no, no more of that. No more of that. Because this offense now is too good. They're, they're Justin's too good. DJ Moore is too good. The other skill players are too good to have any sort of game where they're like throwing for like 48 yards. Like that, that, that cannot happen. No more of that. Like there are no, to me, there are no excuses for this offense to really not work other than the offensive line still needing time to adjust. Yep. Cause there are some movements, right? There are some new faces, but to me, there are no excuses anymore. Like last year where, cause if Byron Pringle is seeing the field, which I don't even think he's on the team anymore, but if a, a guy like that is needing to make plays for you, shit has gone south. Like injuries happen, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I, I think this season you really do have to judge how Luke Getzey is able to command it because this is his show. This is the yep. whole thing. This is yep. this is his baby. This is his like he'll confer some things with Eberflus, but ultimately it's his decisions on a lot of the offensive decisions. And we'll see how Justin has adjusted, you know, how he's taken a leap in terms of reading defenses like you were talking about. Um, if he's able to spread the ball around to make this offense actually work, uh, as opposed to, like you were just saying, only focusing on DJ Moore because he's so good. Can you get other people involved as well? Because, again, last year, it just felt like too many times where it was the X player show, right? Like it was the Justin Fields game for the seventh time or it's the Cole Komet game or it's the Darnell Mooney game. Like instead of having one player just dominate, can you get other guys involved where it's like DJ Moore does finish with 88 yards, but Darnell Mooney finishes with 60 and, and Chase Claypool finished with 40 and Cole Komet finished for 50 and a touchdown. Like, can you do that? Are you able to spread the ball around enough to keep those guys involved and really maximize where you have all this skill, all these talents. Can he use them? I don't know. Left to yeah. be seen. Yep. That to me is the biggest test. And if we have to put a number on it, Jack, they have to be a top half. You got to be a top 16 offense. I'm not asking for you for to be, you know, to, to be a top five. That would be phenomenal. Who would say no to that? Right. It. But I, love it. yeah, but I, I'm just saying like realistically from where they were, they weren't far off of that, even with the faults that they had. Now you have more talent. Go out there and be top 12, top 15, top 14. You give me that. And But the most important thing is just consistency. Don't, don't just how you, you describe. Like, th that's why they were so inconsistent, because it never seemed like there was a game where everything was clicking on all cylinders. We just had that hot streak from Justin, and he was the thing that was clicking. 
Like that, right. that, that was, that was it. Um, but Jackie, I think we go on to the last, because I don't, I don't have much to say about Eberflus, because the one thing that we loved for him coming in was he said, I'm going to be the CEO. That was the one thing where it reminded us about Lovey in the fucking good way. That, that, to me, that is the mark of a really good head coach that isn't um, here to like call plays. If you hire a Shanahan, or Andy Reid, that's going to happen. That's cool. He's not that. Even when he was a defensive coordinator and he was calling those plays, I don't want my head coach to call defensive plays. It feels weird to me. I, you know what I mean? It just doesn't, it doesn't have the same feel as, as if they're calling offensive plays. Others may feel different. That's okay. But I love that mindset. But at the end of the day, what that means is you are finding an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator, and all of their assistants that fit with what you want to do on both sides of the ball. So you being held, like the way you're going to be held accountable is by their success. So we're talking about probably Allen Williams being his seat, being the hottest, which I, I, I still don't think he's going to, he would get fired. It would have to be a Mel Tucker type of season. I think they raised the floor on that defense. I don't think there's a shot that that, that, that happens unless crazy injuries happen. And then you probably even throw Allen Williams, another, you know, uh, uh, another olive branch there. But, um, you know, we talked about our, our sort of the, the lows with him. Same with Getzy. If they don't ascend anymore, if they're, that's just sort of who they are, that's going to be a direct uh, reflection of Matt Eberflus. So then what do you do there? Because the one thing is for certain, I, I do think he's building a culture very differently than what Matt Nagy did. Nagy came in, he was the cool guy. He was the player's first coach. He was funny with the media. Everyone loved him. But I don't know if he built that same type of cachet that Matt Eberflus is. Just listening to the way that the rookies talk about, you know, when, when when Nagy was there early on. We didn't really hear that. We didn't hear it felt more like he was their friend. Right. Versus Eberflus. So hey, you ready to be a Chicago Bear? Get your track shoes. They they know that this is their coach. You know what I mean? And and I'm sure there's friendly moments, there's funny moments. They're grown men at the end of the day. You're not gonna be a militant guy towards them. You know what I mean? A, a, as their head coach. But that dynamic does feel different, at least right now, does it not? Where it's like, it, it feels more like, this is going to sound bad, and I don't mean it this way, because, again, I, I, I don't hate Matt Nagy any, anymore. Um, it feels like there's an adult in the room. Sure. You know what I mean? Versus, like, Nagy, there was a little bit of the, God, now I sound old, but, like, it, there was a little bit of too much fun in the room. Like, like, like it, oh, whereas I, I feel like Eberflus is true. Well, no, it's, it's not even that, because I, I don't mind that, but Eberflus comes more of like, this is still a job at the end of the day. Like, we can have fun, we can do our thing, but this is a job, and our job is to win a Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? Like, he brings that sort of vibe to it, and that's the same thing that Lovey did. When the fuck was anyone laughing and shit when Lovey was here? He was here, and like, you you even hear, like, I think I've told the story before, but uh, not Alex Brown. I may, it may have been Alex Brown, actually. It was either Alex Brown or, or uh, the other uh, uh, defensive end from that that era. And they were talking and they were like, every single time we'd go and we knew we fucked up like either the practice before or the game before. And we try to like sneak by his office when we were going, we were at Hallis Hall. And all of a sudden you just hear him, hey, big guy, come in, step into the office. And they were like, fuck, like he's, he's going to chew me out right now. But like they knew what it was. You know what I mean? Right. Like it, it had that vibe of like, hey, this is coach. I respect the fuck out of him. We have our fun. He treats us like an adult. But when we fuck up, he's going to let us know. And Eberflus gives me that same vibe. So I say all that to say, I don't want to be in the position where I have to separate the two. Man, he set this culture up great. Look at the way Justin has ascended. Look at the way that these young guys respond to him. 
his coordinators kind of fucking suck, and he's the one that hired these guys. You get what I'm saying? Like, we're, we're going right. to be back in that position of, like, what was more important? Him, him, you know, the negative of him hiring two bad coordinators or the pro of him building this this sort of, or cultivating this culture that is banding these young players together and that's allowing them to thrive a little bit more. You get what I mean? That's what, I don't yeah. want to be in that position, Jack. Yeah, where you're just trying to have to divide the positives and the negatives. Exactly. And- you know, it's it's. I mean, realistically, it's it's what we were doing year two years ago, where exactly. it's like, okay, do we get rid of the GM who's brought in some some good players, or do we get rid of the coach who? who I don't know. I I really don't know what qualities he had at that point that we would have wanted. But regardless, I think I have a higher standard for Matt Eberflus going into this year, um, simply because there was a lot last year that I did not like. Uh, and it was things that, you know, like I said, you kind of talked me down on, but I I need to see him be a little bit more aggressive. Now, great. Maybe there was a little bit of Brian Poles basically saying, all right, listen, we could win five, six games and that would be fine. And, you know, we could get a top 10 draft pick. Or we could get the number one overall pick. What do you what do you, what do you think's a little bit better? You know, really set ourselves. Maybe there was a little bit of that going on, but I don't know, man. They, they're just they're they're just Matt Eberflus. Just to me, right now at this moment, outside of the culture stuff, which we don't get to see every day, just kind of seems like a guy. Like it just seems like another another coach, just another average coach who will be here for a while for a little bit and then. You know, they won't do anything with him and then they'll move on and, and find the next thing. Like he doesn't he's not he hasn't done anything to really make himself stand out to me. Like as a guy that I will remember 10 to 15 years from now, like who is the coach back in 2022? Oh, right. Matt Eberfleet. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And it's only been one year and they were not very good in any facet of the game. They did not have a lot of talent anywhere. I, I understand that. He didn't have a lot to work with in terms of what he could coach up. But I think ultimately does kind of go into what we've been talking about with Alan Williams and with uh, with with Luke Getze, where didn't see any improvement from a lot of the defensive players. We didn't see the offense and get guys who that were brought in to succeed really ultimately work out. Like to me, the Chase Claypool thing is also on Matt Eberflus because he, if if him and Ryan Poles really work together as closely as they lead us to believe, then Matt Eberflus was also okay with giving up a second round draft pick to get Chase Claypool. So then, why is it acceptable for Luke Getzey to not use Chase Claypool at all? Like that conversation needs to have been had by Matt Eberflus. Like I get he's a defensive minded guy, and and Luke Getzey runs his offense. That's fine, but. If he's going to be the CEO, then he needs to have some input on the offense. And and we have heard that he has done that. He's worked with Justin Fields to give him some, okay, here's the offense. Here's what I would do as the defense. How would you counter it? We we know that, that those conversations were had. But to have Luke Getze basically just have 100% autonomy just because he's the offensive coordinator, I don't like that. I don't. Matt Eberflus should have some in, some input if he's going to be the CEO guy. 
yeah. can't just be focused on the defense. He needs to be focused on everything. And, I, and if your guys aren't being included and you're not improving, you're not seeing improvement from younger players, that's an issue. And I, I, I'm curious to see how he addresses that. Agreed. And I, I think he does have input on all sides of the ball. I, I, I truly do. And, that, and that's the one thing that I really do like because we're not going to have to have that, at least as it pertains to like what side of the ball is failing. We're not going to have to have that conversation of, well, was he, he was really only working with the defense. Like, do we just tread over offensive coordinators? Like, and Lovey Smith said that that's why Lovey lasted so long. Cause he was running really fucking good defenses. And they just said they could never figure out the OC. Right. I don't think that's going to be the case here. I do think, and, and I think others can tell based on what you're saying, you're harsher on Eberflus after year one than I was, but it's all like, but I, I, I hear it. I, I hear what you're saying. And I, I, I agree with it. I just don't agree with it to the same extent. Because there were times where it was like, why are you calling a timeout here? Or why aren't you calling a timeout here? Why are you not being aggressive in this moment? Or why are you you being aggressive? Why are you challenging a a point after attempt or a a kick when it would actually help you to not do that? Yeah, but then part of me is also like, and, and, and maybe this is giving too much credit, but it's also hard for me to not when it comes to NFL teams just in general, because like they're meticulous. They're they they do things like this. Just like you said. Yeah, we could probably sneak out two or three more wins. Who's to say Poles didn't call down and, hey, don't challenge this one. Hey, punt this one. You know, you know what I mean? Like, let's be realistic about this because if, if I'm being honest with you, Jackie, unless things over the next couple of years are a complete shit show, which th- this just feels like, since Lovey, the most professional regime that we've had. Right. So with that said, well, I mean, maybe not because like the John Fox things, they, they went off the rails, but like they had a, perf- but you know what I'm saying? It just feels more professional. It certainly does over the Trustman thing. And then now what we know of the Matt Nagy era coming off of those two, this feels like the most professional uh, regime. I don't think it's going it, to, it, it's, you know, shit will hit the fan in that way. And I think at least GM and head coach coordinators could always be different. They get hired on elsewhere or whatever. I, I, I'm ready for the Bears to commit for five years to really see a program through, to see a, a full rookie contract from day one to the end or year one to the end, maybe even two, you know what I mean? If it's six years, like really give them that time to, to set this culture, develop them, get the pieces that you absolutely need for your for your scheme. Because I wouldn't doubt, Jack, if me and you were doing a podcast and we were old enough then, we would, I think we would say very similar things about Lovey Smith. He won five games in his first year as a Bear, and nothing looked spectacular. Everything looked bland. I remember that year vividly, and just thinking like, damn, this was the guy that like helped the Rams get to the Super Bowl. Like he ran that defense there. Like it didn't look. And, and he also had a hand in uh in Tampa Bay. I was like, this doesn't look like that defense. But look, it another year or two, and they got those pieces that he needed to build straight through the middle, like he had with Tommy Harris, Brian Urlacher, and and Mike Brown, and it fucking hit. You know what I mean? Right. So, uh, again, th- th- I think that's why I'm not as down on Eberflus. He does come across to me much more like Lovey. I don't think he's necessarily ever going to make people better, but he's going to make elite talent shine even more because he's going to set them up for that success with that defense. Yeah, I, I ultimately just want to see, like, a star develop because, obviously, he was able to do that in Indianapolis with Darius Leonard. And I think that for me is is kind of where I'm getting like a little bit more like he seems sort of just like another guy, uh, because ultimately I watched a lot of Colts football. I saw his defense. They were good. And sometimes they were top five. Like sometimes they were yep. they had some games, a couple seasons where they were really damn good. But ultimately that team couldn't get over the hump. Now, granted, he wasn't 
in charge of everything, so how you can't really put that all on him. If this defense can play top 10, top 5 defense, again, it just ultimately comes down to the offense, which I know, stop at me if you've heard that before, Bears fans. I just really hope that, you know, if they get the defense sorted, great, good, fine, whatever. I, I've seen enough of it in my life where it's, it hasn't worked for the Bears. They've given they've been to one Super Bowl. They lost. Fine. But that was coming up on, what, 13 seasons ago? 14 seasons ago now? Yeah. 13 seasons? It's, it's been a no, while. No, longer than that, Jack. 16. And they tried the whole offensive thing a couple times, right? Trestman is going to be our offensive guy. It somewhat worked. Too bad they have the worst defense in the league. Jesus Christ. Then they, you know, <laughs> kind of sheltered back and were like, all right, all right, stop, stop. Let's go back to the defense. We'll get John Fox. We'll get Vic Fangio, Adam Gase. It'll be great. It wasn't great. Like, this doesn't feel like John Fox. This does feel better. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it's progressive enough in the sense that I wanted where it's like, all right, let's get an established offense together and we'll figure out the defense later. Like there's still just so many question marks with this team just overall that I'm not going to say anybody's on the hot seat. I I would agree with you that Alan Williams is probably the most replaceable at this point. Like I could see out of all three of them, him being moved on from would not shock me if things do go bad, but you know, next year could be a little warm, depending on, on what this season ultimately looks like. And in, until we see it, you know, I'm not confident in saying like anybody's here to stay for, for life. Like I haven't seen anything that's like, I'm like, all right, these are the fucking guys. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yep. How Justin played really well. And you're like, I want to build around this guy. Coaching staff. I'm kind of like, you know, I, I remember during the season, we're like, you know, how we were we were worried at, before the season started. Like, okay, if Luke Getzey figures this out, like, are we worried that he could be snatched up? And then, like, like, week six, week seven, we're like, I mean, if he gets hired, he gets hired. It's fine either way. Yeah, we we weren't <laughs> worried. I mean, we were worried for the team that was going to hire him because there's no, there was yeah, there there was no way that you know we were going to miss him too much. But again. I'm curious to see because both talents have been in, but both sides of the ball have been infused with more talent that yeah. they have to work with. And again, I don't think we're asking for much. I, I think I think that's the thing is like I think we are being very realistic in what we want to see from these guys. I want to see. I mean, really, I think you have top fifteen on both sides of the ball if these coordinators know what they're doing, right? Like, and special teams was really bad last year. So I know we haven't touched on them, but they 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 have got to be better. They, they're they're they were awful last season. Um, so maybe their, their expectation is like just top 20 instead of bottom fucking 30. Um, but yeah, there's just like you said, you're, you're eliminating more and more excuses. And I know a lot of that, you know, is going to get turned on to Justin when it comes to the offensive side of the ball. But at the end of the day, I still want a coordinator that's setting him up, setting him up for success, you know, more often than not. And then if the mistakes happen, it's because of Justin, not because of a bad play call or just consistently, uh, you know, not moving the pocket or just doing more common sense things to help this offense out. Because I, you look at Justin's talent, you look at what they drafted, even though they, they could have had him, so who knows what they were thinking scout-wise, but when they drafted Trey Lance, you can't tell me Justin wouldn't look crazy in that San Francisco offense. They, 
they probably would have won a Super Bowl by now, if I'm being honest with you. Yeah, well, remember we used to say that if, if the Bears drafted Deshaun Watson, we'd have won the Super Bowl that year. We would have. I think they would have. Yeah. If but, they drafted Patrick Mahomes, they absolutely would have won that Super Bowl. Probably. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you that. Jackie, that was uh, that was everything, but you did. I, I had to lean over and grab a pen really quick because I do think we did, we now need an episode before the season of like what players need to make the leap. You know, we talked yeah. about we we talked about coordinators and what we want to see from them, and at the end of the day, players have a big say in this as well. Um, maybe we do like three on each side of the ball or five on each side of the ball. What, what is a player we need you to like? I, I don't think there's ten total in that. I was that thinking I three. Yeah. I was thinking three on each side of the ball. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, like, here's the thing, like, as much as like the frontline talent has improved, there is no denying that this team will be better than they were, should be better than they were last year. Depth is still a, a, a legitimate, you look at the depth that the, that the Chiefs have, that the Bills have, that, you know, the, the Eagles have just top to bottom, the depth that they have, the Bears are still nowhere near that. They still have a lot of building to yeah. do. So I, I think you're right. I think top 15 on both sides is a reasonable expectation, be at least average, if not a little bit better than average on both sides. And you'll probably have a pretty good season. Now, what does that ultimately mean? Does that mean that they win more games? Are they, you know, in those one score possessions? How does Maddie Rufloos look then? The decisions he makes there with the timeouts, things like that. I agree with you. But depth is still a, a legitimate concern when it comes to this team. That's fair. There no, is no two ways around that. That's extremely fair. It, it, the, the depth looks much better this year than last year, though. And again, that, that's to me is like, that's why you give these guys five, six years. You continue right. to build upon that. Because then they, they, you, what happens? Let, let's say they win six games this year and it, it, it wasn't good enough. You get rid of them. Now you may be going back to a 3-4. You may be going back to, to a totally different 4-3 philosophy. Maybe doing something totally different on offense now. And then now you're churning over players and now your depth is gone. Versus like in year five, hey... Here goes fucking, you know, TJ Edwards gets hurt. But there's this other guy that we drafted two years ago, Christian Jones. The Christian Jones version 2.0 is here and he's ready to step up. Like that, that's how you do build that depth. You know what I mean? It's not just talent. It's about getting them in the system and let, letting them understand their roles. The last thing I, I will say in regards to uh, giving them enough time is one thing the Bears absolutely need to get away from is hiring keeping one person and letting the other person go and then letting that combination mix again. Cause yeah, we saw it. It started in 2012 when Lovey was fired, Phil Emery or Jerry Angelo was fired in 2011. They brought in Phil Emery to be with Lovey Smith. Then Phil Emery hired Trustman and then they both got fired or no. Yeah. Right. Yep. Both of them got fired. Yep. And then Ryan Pace was brought in with John Fox, but he didn't really get to pick John Fox. We know that, that was very clear. John Fox goes, he brings a naggy, and then boom. Like yeah. it, it just they, they need to get away from that. Where where yeah. there's just too much turnover happening. I mean, the 2010s will be looked at as just a complete fucking mess. Awful for, well, for the rest of, of Bears history. One of the worst ran organizations in the league, if not the worst of uh, of that decade. It, it was it was embarrassing. But I do think the only way that's acceptable to me is if Ryan Pace shows that he's immaculate Poles. at his job. Who did I say? Poles. Ryan Poles, I'm sorry. If Ryan Poles... Easy mistake. Yeah. 
they didn't want to they, they had to save money on those business cards um <laughs> if if ryan pole shows that he's immaculate at scouting and look he just says i fucked up with my hire but now this next guy you hire you're with for five six years again to me that's acceptable you know what i mean if he proves okay. to be sure. but again to your point it can't be the 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 um what do you even like that staggered sort of exiting and onboarding exiting and onboarding you can't you can't have that you can't but I mean, we've seen that we we've seen GMs stick around for twenty fucking years at places and ha- and get two, three, four coaches. Four coaches. Yeah. yeah. So, but again, if, if Paul shows that he's really good at his job, you you do that because at the end of the day, like, it, it's a reflection of you to some degree if you hire a bad coach. But you also don't know the coach that you're going to get because you're hiring coordinators more times than not. This isn't to throw him a bone, but what I'm saying is. I think you, if you prove that you're immaculate at scouting, you have you you have stacked yeah. draft classes year in and year out, and the coaches just can't get it together. You have then shown me that you you can get another crack or two at getting another head coach and coordinators and such. Sure, I, I would agree. If if let's say this whole season blows up in their face, Matt Eberflus just looks like a complete clown. I don't think that's going to happen. Well, let's just say right. it does. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would be on board for for Ryan. I mean, Ryan Poles is what 36, 37? like. Still a very young guy, first time GM. Should we really judge him based off of one coaching hire that, again, maybe he ultimately didn't make? If you remember the uh, whole, you guys have the same agent. Did that play into any any of this hiring at all? No. I mean, okay. Like, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. We'll see. But I, I agree with you. Like, if Ryan Pol- like Ryan Poles, his offseason has showed me that he has some savviness to him. And I want to see that from Matt Eberflus this year. Right. I want to see some personality come through. I, I want to see him take that next step. I agree with you. The, the changeover's got to stop. But you know, if it does have to happen, I'd be I'd be cool with with Pulse. Thing. I forgot about the agent stuff. This is gonna fail, isn't it, Jackie? This is all gonna fall. <laughs> no, man. Bill Polian was a part of this NFL legend. All right. God damn. He he helped out with this hire. Uh, he collected probably a nice little finder's fee. Wait, did I thought he uh, helped out with Nagy? He helped out with this one too. No, I don't think he helped out with Nagy. Did he? Someone helped out with. No, no, no. Someone helped out with Pace. It was uh for uh Ernie Acorsi. Ernie Acorsi. Holy fuck! I hate the yeah. Chicago Bears so much. No, this is a new day. It's a new day to not hate them. You're right. It's gonna be fine. Their team will win six, seven games. I just, I will never they'll forget. Give, Bears fans hope we need we need to live we need to figure out how to live stream things without getting DMCA'd because you had so much PTSD from the Matt Nagy era it was like the first quarter and we had a three and out and you're like I fucking can't <laughs> it's the same old shit Frank I was like Jack it's a monsoon yeah. and it's game yeah. one yeah yeah oh man yeah. that was I, the greatest I did I did, I did. you so, had you know so what? much it was great to be fair, I think it's, uh, you know, <laughs> show me something else then. <laughs> oh, come and on. I, like, and I'll fucking know. do it again. <laughs> I was, I was, I was very excited because of were. all the change. Right. I was excited about all the conversations that were had. And, you know, it just, it didn't, it didn't work out. And then they won. And then I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. On that, yeah. the little fucking play action fake, uh, throwing it deep. Was that Komet on that deep? Oh, no, it was, uh, it was Dante Pettis. On the deep ball for the win. Or was it Equinemius? It was one of those two. Dante Pettis is back, right? He's back in the Bears. Yeah. 
I like him I for that role though. Like Gunner, wide receiver, receiver five. Yeah, perfect for him. If he beats out Tyler Houston or Velas, can he beat out either? What have so, we heard anything about Velas? I mean, this offseason program, he's gonna get uh, cut. He's gonna get you know, cut. It's, it's one of those things where like you follow uh, the NFL beat writers on Twitter, right? Yeah, the, yeah. The, I, I directly for dynasty purposes, so I could send it to people and either gas up players or kind of turn them down a little bit, you know? Yeah, fuck yeah. But I don't think Velas. He hasn't gotten the headline, once. yeah. That's not good. That's not good. Everybody, could be, everybody gets a headline. It could be bad, though, because Claypool's headlines have been nothing but negativity this year. So maybe he's just got his head down, ready to rock and roll. You know, did you ever notice that Velas Jones kind of looks like Kevin White? A little bit. A little bit. I mean, he's older than Kevin White, if you think about it. He is. Kevin White's still 24. Yeah, Bayless Jones, 27. Yeah, it's bad. God damn it. Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll have to have a conversation about Jackie, I'm going to family night, baby. Really? Yeah, August 6th. Bring in the kiddos. Go meet one of the players. Go meet one of the players. Yeah. Who's going to be there? uh, I'm not sure I have to look more into it, but last year I didn't know my dad went. He took... um, a couple of his uh his his nephews his and, and they met uh no no they met uh the ones met, he likes more they met justin fields he had a picture right up like literally shaking his hand like right up on him he said he's a, he said he's a cool dude yeah well armius is uh that's his favorite player he's got the jersey and everything yeah it is we're, we're gonna be decked out in our gear we're gonna get them on the field now i saw that the texans are wearing their battle red helmets uh, this season, and mm-hmm. I just saw that the Browns are wearing white helmets. Yeah, white. I don't know the, where no, I was the red, going with the, that. The, the red. I don't know where you were either, but the red with the Texans will look nice. The I was white with say, the Browns like, will look fucking gross. I was gonna say like maybe the Bears could get a cool alternate one, but then I <laughs> the orange helmets. Frank, if I see those fucking orange jerseys. One more time. You're going to see they want they, they haven't won in like eight Nathan years. Nathan Basher has a hundred and eight yard field goal missed return no, for a not. fucking touchdown no. in the orange jerseys, Jackie. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Because those aren't the orange jerseys. Those are the, the good They were a little bit jerseys. different. They were a little bit different. You're right. It was more like the burnt orange. orange. It was the burnt orange. Not These the orange. Look bright. Yeah. Not the orange orange. The ones that make them look like it's, a fucking... It's not even orange orange. Because if you're in the sun, it looks fucking red. Doesn't you it? You know what it looks like? It looks like Mac... You know, uh, you know, one of those colored pencils. The cray... Or uh, not colored pencils. The crayons. Uh, the Crayola ones. I bet if you looked like in one the of sun's... Yeah, exactly like one of those. If you look and find the one that says You're not macaroni question and question why I have a Crayola right on my desk. Absolutely not. I just saw it piece before we started this recording. I know why that's up. If you find the one that says macaroni and cheese, I guarantee you, you'll be like, Damn, oh my God. I think you're right. That's the jersey color. Which is really fucking weird because on, on one of my monitors, I have Justin Fields as the, uh, as the wallpaper and it has the orange outline around the number and around the the letters of his last name and it is that like burnt orange and it looks so fucking dope what what why why is yeah why is the why is that all orange that nasty ass orange that reddish orange i hate it i hate it and they never fucking win in them and the team doesn't care because they want to just sell jerseys they want to sell sell stuff for money it's disgusting this is a football organization all right. The only thing that matters is W's. 
Football, all right. baby. It's all that matters. <laughs> it's all that fucking all right, matters. Frankie. I think that'll just about do it for this week's edition of the Bear With Us podcast. We appreciate you guys listening. As always, uh, I'm Jack. He's Frank. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we only have a couple more. <laughs> One more episode. And then I'll be a father. Yeah. Fuck yeah, you will. And you're bringing and your then, kid. To, then, you're bringing your kid to family night. And then ultimately, I, I mean, he'll be a little young for that. But ultimately, the season is right around the block, man. Like fucking. I know. Preseason will be starting next month. I know. August. So. Thirteenth. Yeah. The wait is almost over. For August twelfth is my birthday. The wait is almost over, and uh, we will be here for you guys to cover that. Fuck my birthday, huh? Yeah, I don't care. About <laughs> All right. Listen, Frank. We know how this works. You get to a certain point in your life and you're like, man, I don't give a fuck about my birthday. My wife gets so <laughs> mad at me. She's more excited than me. And I'm just, I just like look at her and she's like, I, I fucking hate this every year. You never yeah. care about your birthday. Yeah. We'll grow. All right. Grow up. I'll try to Jackie. Fucking better. All right. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks Later, for Jackie. listening. Later everybody.